Wait on your knees. Don't touch that dial. You want to hear this? It's about sex. Night Moves, a sex talk show full of information, interviews, and inquiries. Each week we bring you current research and sexuality, a guest interview. After that, we'll answer questions from listeners like you. I'm your host, Ann Hardy. As a registered nurse, I talk to male patients about erectile dysfunction. I'm Kay Crow, ASEX certified sex therapist in private practice and local sexpert to those who are curious. I'm Ray, your friendly man about town. I'm a guy who's been around the block a bunch of times, and I'm here to share opinions to help get you laid and keep you safe. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. This week, we're exploring men's sexual health, which is a state of well-being that allows men to enjoy unfettered sexual activity. Our guest is Paul Nelson, licensed therapist in men's sexual medicine and founder of Frank Talk a website that men can discuss their sexual issues and other health care concerns. And then we answer your questions from email. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. This week, we're exploring men's sexual health. The Harvard Medical School describes men's sexual health as a state of well-being that lets a man fully participate in and enjoy sexual activity. Optimal male health includes sexual desire, which is the libido, and the ability to get and maintain an erection. I just do want to point out that erection isn't entirely necessary for good sexual health. Amen to that. The state of men's health can affect both the desire for sex and the ability to have sex. Erectile dysfunction can be the proverbial canary in the coal mine, an early warning sign of more systemic health issues. Mental health also plays a role in men's sexual health, the ability to talk about and communicate about what someone wants to do in bed, how they feel about it, and how they see their sexuality. So, Anne, you say that the ability to have and sustain an erection is not necessarily important to sexual health, but you say that mental health is K. Right. And without mental health, you cannot be sexually healthy. Yeah, if, if a guy feels depressed, anxious, stressed out, he's, he's not going to feel much like having sex. I mean, some people go to sex as stress management, but I've, I've also seen it play the role as a, a, a big damper on sexual desire. No, sexual health, you know, failing can be a complication from poor mental health. True. A professor of urology at North Shore University Health System and the University of Chicago looked at medical records of 6 million men over the age of 30 and having the diagnosis of erectile dysfunction. They found that only 25% of men were actually treated. And for men over 65, it was only 18%. I'm not surprised at all from my past experience as a nurse who did have to talk to male patients about erectile dysfunction. 
But unless you bring up the topic and give them permission to talk about it, they will not bring it up because they're afraid of offending you. So my doctor that I work with would always go around and say, well, they have worse things to worry about than that, talking about erectile dysfunction. I would really just say, but it's such a quality of life issue. Ray, what do you think some of the barriers are for men seeking help with sexual issues? Within our culture, value machismo, it's kind of like their way of peacocking, some fist bumping. Mm-hmm. The expression of emotion is limited, it, viewed as feminine or weak. Some men just, they don't feel like they can adequately express themselves openly because of that. They, mm-hmm. They'll be ostracized for it by other men. They'll be viewed as less and maybe by women too. And I guess asking for help on any level, even from a doctor. That's why they never ask for directions. It's been said that men mostly turn to women for emotional support as opposed to other men. Generally speaking, women create deep friendships from a young age, and that's who they typically turn to first for emotional support. And when they have problems, they often will read self-help books, listen to podcasts, and spend money on therapists to heal old wounds and also for their current problems. I found that men in their lives usually rely on them. As one friend of mine, her boyfriend, when he had bad anxiety problems and she was trying to get him to go and seek help, he's like, what do I need a therapist for? I have you. I think men also are quite capable of forming deep friendships from a young age. I feel like there's probably plenty of men out there reading self-help books and listening to podcasts because they probably don't have anybody to turn to. I'd hate to generalize, and I think there's this stereotype that men do not go to therapy, but it's been my experience that they do, especially when the issues are around sexuality. It can be a struggle for them at first if they've never been in that process that's very deep and, you know, it's a lot of talking about emotions. But once they get comfortable with it, they're just as motivated as as any clients. And how do they feel after? They're so glad they did it. And and now they're at least open to the process. It's always surprising to me how men think that their penises should function separate from the rest of their body. Like they don't see the connection between what's going on in their head and what's going on in their heart and what's going on in their penis. Angela Beard, a clinical psychologist at the Veterans Affairs in Dallas, reports that men have trouble identifying what their emotional needs really are, their thoughts and feelings, or how to express themselves to someone that will help fulfill their needs. And she found that no one has ever asked a man what masculinity means to them, and they've never asked themselves. I talk about those questions all the time with men because a lot of them internalize that stereotype. You got to be strong. You got to be tough. You got to be pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all that crap. So as an alternative to therapy, men have formed groups and that changes the climate in which men can't cry and only get mad. They're using their, their tendencies to get busy trying to fix things. So they're starting to see that embracing those things that they've rejected out of fear and being uh, ostracized for their apparent femininity or being called gay or wimp, 
standing up against that are actually huge acts of courage by those oh, people yeah. that are that are forming these groups. You know, standing up to yourself for yourself in the face of adversity always takes a amount of bravery. That's commendable for those mm-hmm. people who do. I know it's really hard for men to go to men's groups or support groups because I went to one for four years after I lost my son and my husband only went one time. He just tore his heart out and he could not tolerate it. It doesn't necessarily have to be a support group. There are also organizations like Mankind Project. I I think group acceptance can be really, really powerful. There's something about human nature that when you hear stories worse than you, it makes you feel better. The word doctor can send men running from the room with their hair on fire. It's like men run screaming from the room when period comes up. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) The word doctor may send the men in your life running for cover. MD Anderson, the Department of Cancer Prevention, reports that men don't get checkups or their cancer screening. Successful cancer treatment depends on getting early diagnosis and treatment. For many men, health or medical isn't something they talk about to other men. So MD Anderson developed tips to help men seek treatment. If they really want to help them seek treatment, the tips isn't going to be the issue. You've got to make it accessible. That's, that's a good point. Yes, make it more accessible. But if they have health insurance and it's accessible... I find frequently they still won't go. Here's some ideas. If you are partnered with a guy, you go to the doctor and you ask him to come with you just so he'll get more comfortable with the process. He can he can be an observer in, in the process. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're a female, he'll really appreciate what you have to go through being in the stirrups for your gynecological exam. It's like the reminders aren't out there for men, but what are you going to do that's really going to make it come sink into the men that are already receiving the message? Mm-hmm. It's already out there. But yeah, I wouldn't push it. I wouldn't, you know, make it conditional or give him an ultimatum. Don't nag him. Yeah, that yeah. shuts down the that shuts down the conversation immediately. Yeah, it's just they're going to dig their heels in immediately. You know, when he makes an appointment or you make one for him, but once again, don't push it, you know, offer to go with him. And because he might be really nervous, maybe he's afraid he's going to get bad news. You you never know what's going through uh, someone's mind when they're afraid of. They may be sneaking a cigarette and the doctor's going to tell him don't smoke. And then the wife will go, see, the doctor told you don't smoke. Exactly. And once he does go and have, have his checkup, then... Go out and have have a nice dinner or celebrate. When they do finally go to the doctor, you've got to really reinforce that positive action. After our great discussion of men's sexual health, what's your closing thoughts? Well, when it comes to addressing sexual health for men, you have to think about the entire person. It's not just what's going on in your body or what's going on with your penis. It's also what's going on with your mind and your life. How, how stressed out are you? What's your relationship like? There are so many things that contribute to it. So look at each one. Address each one. You're not a wimp because you're suffering from an affliction. What makes you weak is not confronting it. I just want to encourage all men and women to go have your checkups. As soon as you know the condition of your health, you will feel very relieved and much better. 
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. And we're talking about sex, all kinds of sex, some serious, some lighthearted. And then we answer your questions that our listeners send in from email. Stay tuned. Coming up next is our guest, Paul Nelson, licensed therapist in men's sexual medicine and founder of Frank Talk. And then we'll answer questions from our listeners' email. Check out our podcast at www.mixcloud.com slash nightmovesksym. Night Moves, your only alternative for sex, information. Have a burning question for the hosts of Night Moves? We'll answer it on the air. Names will not be disclosed, but we'd like your gender and age range. Email your questions to nightmovesksym at gmail.com. Welcome to Night Moves, an exploration of contemporary sexuality. My guest is Paul Nelson, licensed therapist that works in men's sexual medicine in New York City, and also the founder of Frank Talk. Welcome to the show, Paul. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Why is it so difficult for men to seek medical treatment or talk about health issues? Well, (laughs) where should we start? (laughs) A million reasons. Men are discouraged in our culture from being open and authentic and honest with each other or with anybody. The American ideal of the guy is tough, solitary, isolated, strong, the John Wayne look. And so the man box keeps men in this very, you know, aloof, strong, silent ideal. And so men do not talk about their their personal issues. When it comes to sexual medicine, it's a double whammy because they're going to doctors who have zero training in sexual medicine. The doctors can't talk about sex because they're guys who are raised in America, too. So just because some guy went to medical school doesn't mean he's somehow, uh, you know, secure and comfortable with his penis and sexuality and you talking about yours. The doctors are just as awkward as the patients. For example, we don't even have a definition of sex in this culture. There was a recent study, 85% of people could not agree on what sex was. And so we don't have a definition for it. We have no practice talking about it. We have no role models to talk about it. No wonder no one can talk about sex. As a nurse, I developed an ability to talk to patients about sex or erectile dysfunction because the doctors were just way too uptight to do it. No offense, doctors in high school and college were the nerds. Let's talk to some nerd about sex. He's going to be like, ah. So in our society... Because we have this issue of men don't talk about their sexual health, you have actually done something to address this issue. The website, could you tell us about it? Well, the, the website's called franktalk.org, and the title says it all. It was my wife that it began when I had prostate cancer at 45. And at that age, all you can have pretty much is surgery. So when you have cancer, there are resources, communities. You can ask anybody any question about prostate cancer online and you get a million responses. So after surgery, everybody has temporary erectile dysfunction. So I thought, oh, I'll go find all the sites about erectile dysfunction and ask my questions. 
and there were none. I kept looking and looking. Everything was a commercial or a WebMD or these things that don't say anything at all. My wife told me to stop complaining and said, why don't you start your own website? So I started Frank Talk with the idea that if we provide an anonymous, safe place for men to talk, they will. So I started this site, and we now have almost 10,000 members, and we get about 50,000 men a month, and over half a million different men every year on Frank Talk, all talking about their sexual issues, fears, struggles, ED, premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, low libido, the relationships. It's amazing. It when is. When it's safe and anonymous, men are desperate to talk about it. It's not that men don't want to talk about it. There's just never been a safe place for them to talk about it. So there's a lot of things that you talk about on Frank Talk. I'd like to ask you about some really interesting points that I found one was it has a very international flavor. I mean, I saw people ride in from Ireland and China. and Yes, we have 118 countries. Yeah, when I look at the SEO reports of where men are coming from, it's all over the world. It's amazing. I can definitely believe that. I've traveled a bit and spent a lot of time in Japan, in Japan. And as bad as things are here about talking about sex, it's much worse in other countries. The advent of Viagra has been great, but that also means doctors in their discomfort are like, well, here, have a prescription for a couple pills. Uh, goodbye. They're not really taking care of the patient at all. Yes, when I would instruct the patient on taking Viagra, one said to me, well, it's just a pill. I just take it and go, wake up, honey, my pill's working. I'm like, no, you do that. You're not going to get good results. Something like 80% of men simply don't seek treatment for sexual function problems. In our culture, we wouldn't put up with an elbow that didn't work or a knee or an ankle that didn't work. We would insist on, on a working, fully working body that when it comes to our penis, it is bizarre how, as a culture, we will figure, oh, well, I'll just live with a non-functioning body part. Again, that shows how, what a horrible state our national psyche is in when it comes to sex. I noticed that on the Frank talk uh, that it seems that younger men are having problem with erectile dysfunction. Research shows 20% of men in their 20s have some sort of ED. Everybody is so quick to say, oh, it's all in their head, it's all in their head. It's from porn, it's from all these things. My stomach has hurt for the last month. Oh, you're just too worried. Just take some Alka-Seltzer, you'll be fine. Why is it when it comes to the penis, we diagnose each other, and professionals do this too. It drives me nuts. Doctors are very quick to say it's in your head because I, they don't want to deal with the complexities of a 25-year-old having erectile dysfunction. And the bulk of our practice is men in their 30s and 40s. Just about follows the decades, 20% of men in their 20s, 30% of men in their 30s, 40%. And we know that 50% of men over the age of 40 have erectile dysfunction. So I want to ask you about the risk of erectile dysfunction. First of all, I thought it was fascinating to see that there's a relationship between erectile dysfunction and CTE, which is the head injuries that men get from playing football. Their whole sexual response is run by the nervous system, so any brain injury is going to affect the, the sexual response of the body. The biggest warning that we tell guys uh, erectile dysfunction is the correlation between heart disease. And there's a specific kind of atherosclerosis, which is the a hardening of the arteries, which shows up in the penis 
43 or 48 months ahead of a cardiac event. We know specifically that there's a specific heart condition which will result in erectile dysfunction about four years before there is a heart attack. We know that for a fact, which is what drives me nuts is that when a guy goes to a doctor and says, I have erection issues, he should be put on an EKG machine <laughs> before he's given pills. I'm glad you said that about so, heart disease because that was my next question. And anything that affects the nervous system, uh, spinal cord injuries, bulging discs, sciatica, brain injuries, traumatized concussions, all of that can affect sexual function, and it does affect sexual function, absolutely, including ejaculation, the emission stage of getting ready to ejaculate, as well as erection. I saw on the website that you have a whole section for LGBTQ needs, because I'm sure they have special needs in that department. Well, we always marveled at how kind and compassionate the men were to each other, whether they were gay, straight, bi, it didn't matter. But it was one gay guy that came to me and he said, listen, I want to talk about some stuff and practices that we do that might bother some guys. So really the reason I did it was just to create a safe haven for guys to talk about their sexual activity. Guys who are not identifying as gay were all reading that form and posting as well. <laughs> it was really fascinating. There are some specific differences in sex between two men and sex between a man and a woman. Uh, if you're going to do penetration, you definitely need a harder erection for anal sex. That's just, that's just physics. That's just how it is. The gay guys want to make sure they can get really firm erections. Other than that, the differences between sex between two men and sex between two women is shockingly the same. What do you think about those over-the-counter that are yeah. used for rectal dysfunction? We do not go to a gas station for health care. Let's make that perfectly clear. Or the convenience store, or the 7-Eleven, or the bodega, or the pony, whatever you want to call it. We do not rely on that aspect of our culture to for health care. They are all unregulated. We have no idea what's in them. We do not play around with these drugs. They're safe when they're taken according to the doctor's instructions. But that little jar at the 7-Eleven has not been cleared by a doctor for dosing. It's just idiotic we'll trust the gas station with our health care. It's just, it's crazy. Thank you so much for saying that. And do you have any closing thoughts? And there is no excuse to live with a non-functioning body part. No reason a guy cannot have an erection to live without a functioning penis. Thanks so much for being on Night Moves. And do you want to share your contact information? Uh, Frank Talk is franktalk.org. And my email, if someone has any questions, is paul at franktalk.org. Thanks so much for being on Night Moves. I really appreciate it. Coming up next, the hosts will answer emails from the listeners. Please send us your questions and comments to nightmovesksym at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, Night Moves Now. Catch up on past episodes on mixcloud.com slash nightmoves KSYM. Working on mysteries without any clues. Working on our night moves. Trying to make some front page driving news. Working on our night moves. Now it's time for questions and comments. 
Our first question is from a female in her 20s. Every time I have sex with my boyfriend, I get a urinary tract infection. I thought I was allergic to latex condoms, but no. I've heard that urinating after sex helps, but I usually don't. I've heard that lube helps, but I'm too embarrassed to use it. What can I do to decrease the urinary tract infections? That's funny. Every time I have sex with your boyfriend, I give him a UTI. Imagine that. (laughs) Can't take you anywhere, I swear. From a nurse perspective, urinating (laughs) does help to flush out the urethra because we have a very short tube between the external and the urinary tract system. I've heard that lube does help because it helps the microabrasions, and you need to get over the embarrassment. There's no problem using lube because lube is your friend. Also, drink plenty of fluid, and there are some over-the-counter things called urinary antiseptics that also do help. Start urinating. Start using the lube, and don't double dip. Maybe save the back door for the, the, the second part of the act after intermission. That's a good one. No, I think Anne hit it on the head. There's a lot of bacteria introduced and friction that causes UTIs in women. Some women are more susceptible to them. You need to talk to your doctor because I've certainly known some women who need to take the -the over-the-counter antiseptics or even prophylactic antibiotics so they don't end up with a UTI. You're so much nicer than me. That's what I've seen. A lot of women do have to take a smaller dose of continual antibiotics to prevent them. Yes. Our next question is from a female in her 20s. I was just informed that I have HPV, human papillomavirus, after my pap smear. I'm devastated. Now I have to disclose it to all potential partners. I feel like no one wants me and makes me resist any partner. I don't know what to do except abstain. Can you give me any advice? Use a condom. That's right. That's your that's your best um, protection at this point. HPV has, there are four strains that are associated with cervical cancer in women. It may be helpful. You might want to spend the money to find out which strain you've contracted. And if it's not one of the strains that's covered by Gardasil, you can get Gardasil to protect you from the other sexually transmitted strains. No STD means that you need to abstain from sex. There is, I think, an emotional and a mental adjustment that occurs when you find out you're infected. You do feel like you're damaged goods, that you're somehow tainted, and no one will ever want you. You will need to have this conversation with partners, and that is a learning process. But trust me, partners can adjust to the idea that you have an STD as long as they know that you're aware of it and you're taking steps to protect them from it. All can be well. If you feel like you can't find a partner that's going to accept you for for having the HPV, then try surrounding yourself with other people like yourself that also have HPV. There there are websites and dating sites for people with with infections and they want to, you know, swim in the same pool. And so maybe that's an option for you. So Kay, what are some of the things you can do to get over the emotional part? Well, that's really a very individual process um, because contracting an STD often brings up a lot of shame 
especially for a woman, shame over being sexual, shame over not protecting herself, whatever the situation is. I can speak to this personally. Years ago, I was being smart and protecting myself and doing everything I thought I should, yet I still got infected with an STD because my partner cheated. Sometimes, in spite of your your best efforts, stuff like that happens. I do want to remind this individual that HPV is one of the most common STDs. Doctors tend to assume if you're sexually active, you've probably already got it or you've been exposed to it. Some of the strains of HPV can be cleared by the body. I wouldn't necessarily uh, say that's a guarantee. It, It just depends upon your immune system. But educate yourself find out what strain you have that can be helpful look into the the vaccine it's it's not going to make what you have go away but it it will make other infections more difficult great advice uh get the gardasil vaccine again it won't cure it as Kay said but it will prevent you from the other strains of hpv because there's i believe over a hundred just have faith in yourself. And I thought that was really great advice, Ray, about finding dating sites, maybe with people with HPV. Have a burning question for the hosts of Night Moves? We'll answer it on air. Names will not be disclosed, but we like your gender and age range. Email your questions to nightmovesksym at gmail.com. Catch up on past episodes on mixcloud.com slash nightmovesksym. Like us on Facebook, Night Moves Now. Good night, and I hope you find yourself in bed with a book you love or someone who's already read one. Hey, y'all, have a great night. Don't do anything I wouldn't do, but if you're going to do it, do it safe. Good night, have a fabulous week, and tune in next week to Night Moves. Exploration of Contemporary Sexuality.